Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for leading us in worship. Thank you all for joining us. You guys look amazing. So glad that you're here with us today, celebrating not only live in the church, but also online life. So grateful for all of you being part of what God is doing. That's an amazing song, and you're going to love it as you get to know it if you don't know it already. And uh, there's a couple other ones we want to get started on, too. I'm sure they're working on those, like My Father's House. That's another great song. I know we're going to do that soon. But I just want you to know that that, that is like a, um, a drive anthem that's amazing. And it's something powerful that God's talking to us about today in His church. And so in His Word, today's an amazing day in history. And I want to share with you uh, the, the message God's laid in my heart today. I want to touch on what we talked about last week which was the prophetic word of God and how Christ fulfilled all the messianic promises that God said he would as he came as the Messiah. And there's no way that he could have fulfilled all those things unless God was orchestrating the entire thing. Now then, as we read that, and we were looking at that scripture that, that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, we looked at this last week. I'm bringing this moment here to us again because of where we're going today. So in Acts chapter 2, We'll, we'll read a little bit later on. But you know, when the Holy Spirit fell on them in the upper room, they went out in the streets and they began to preach. And so Peter's preaching, and this is how he starts his message because of the chaos of the streets. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. I put in there chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. So I want you to know that this prophecy that God spoke through the prophet Joel took place in the Old Testament long time before this day. But Peter, now being anointed and filled by the Holy Spirit, pretty important to remember that, is preaching and proclaiming Jesus to these people. And he wants them to know how this is happening. So the Holy Spirit, speaking through Peter, quotes the prophetic words that were spoken by God through Joel so many centuries before. In the last days, God says... I will pour out my spirit upon all people. All right? So God's the one that said he would do this, and he promised it through the prophet Joel on this day in history, which is the day of Pentecost, which this Sunday, May 31st, 2020, we celebrate Pentecost. This is the day. This day in history, 2,000 or so years ago, they were celebrating in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit fell in that moment. Peter proclaims to the people listening, now remember, the people that were gathered in Jerusalem were coming to worship God for a festival, which we'll talk about in just a moment. So these were people that were practicing Judaism, worshiping God through the old sacrificial system established by God through Moses and the law. And there were many others that had converted to Judaism, recognizing God, the God of the Bible, to be God. And therefore, there were Jews and people of other nationalities who were practicing Judaism that were there on this day. And so what's happening all of a sudden in the midst of this chaos is the disciples are out preaching God's word in the streets, proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So we'll continue. I'm not going to read all those because we read them last week, and you'll look at them, and we'll touch on it again. So in this day called Pentecost by us, which we celebrate as the birth of the New Testament church, is a Greek word. Now, I don't know what translation Justin was just using when he said the disciples said, what the heck? I don't remember that Greek translation, but I mean, maybe you can pour it out to me later, but I want you to know that the New Testament was written in Greek and Aramaic, and the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. When you go into the New Testament and you see the translation into English, the word Pentecost, penta is the 50. 
And so when we look at that name, the celebration that was actually taking place on this day is called the Feast of First Fruits. And so it was an Old Testament established festival that God himself established. So God, when he gave Moses the law, established several feasts and celebrations for his people to come together for a distinct purpose in their worship of God. So this one is called Two Names. It is called the Feast of First Fruits, and it is called the Feast of Weeks. There were three of these feasts that God demanded a pilgrimage of all of his people to come to Jerusalem. If you know your Bible and your history, you will know that King David, when he became the king, reigned in the city of Jerusalem and made that the holy city. It was the city of God. It's where he had his son, Solomon. God did, but David gave him a direction as well to build the temple of God in the holy city of Jerusalem. There's a war going on over Jerusalem. You do know that in the Middle East. And it's because they're both still trying to proclaim themselves as the owners of God's promise and authority. Those conflicting over there. It's God and it is the God of the Bible, the God of Israel and Jacob, who is God, and it is their city. But we need to see what God is doing here because there's something pretty amazing that's happening in this event. The three feasts that God said you, all you men have to pilgrim back to Jerusalem, wherever you are on the face of the earth, three times a year I command you to come back to Jerusalem to worship me. The first one is the Passover, which is the celebration of unleavened bread. So in the Exodus story, you know the story of how the lamb was brought in, it was killed, the blood on the doors, the Passover angel in, in Egypt, as the death angel came over that God sent to strike down anyone that didn't have the blood over them, the firstborn of the male and, uh, I'm sorry, the firstborn of the families as well as the livestock. Now, when we know this, then God established two things there. God instructed Moses to tell the people that as they were getting ready to celebrate the Passover and they were to kill the lamb, they were also to go through their whole house and get rid of any leaven that was there. They, they made unleavened bread, and on the second day, or the, night, uh, the day after Passover, they began a festival called the celebration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It lasted seven days. So Passover, then unleavened bread. It was also a day that was the celebration of the harvest barley, uh, har uh, the harvest of barley, where it was completed. So let's see this for a second. God is saying, Passover, celebration of, of um, unleavened bread. Now, the reason why it has two names, the one of first fruits and the one of feast of weeks, is because God instructed Moses in Leviticus 23. He said, on that day, which is the day after Passover, the starting of unleavened bread, count seven weeks or a week of weeks. So I know my math, so all you mathematicians that correct me earlier, you don't have to worry about this one. I got it. Seven times seven is 49. I got that. All right? So 49 days from that day is the 50th day, obviously. All right? So God said, now on that 50th day, you are to celebrate the festival of first fruits or the festival of weeks. And the men of all, all over the world are congregating in Jerusalem, right? Okay, so let's go through with this. God's amazing. We've been talking about how perfect God's word is, how he fulfills his promises in his word. It is so important, church, today, you and I, listen, we need to know what God's word says. God's word is critical to yours and my life and our relationship with him. 
Not what we've learned about it, what it actually says. That's really important for us to remember as we go through today. See, God had a plan. And on that day that God established the Passover and the selection of the lamb and how it should live for those four days with the families and then be killed is the exact same day. If you remember the message from Easter that we celebrated the triumphant entry, it was the day after that that the lamb was selected. It was that day that Jesus came into Jerusalem and it was on that fourth day after, exactly like God said, that Jesus himself would be crucified on the day they would kill the Passover lamb on the cross of Calvary. On the third day, he rose again, as we know. We are, we're in this resurrection section where Jesus is ministering to his, his followers. The word of God tells us that he, he met with the apostles, James, and over 500 at one time. So Jesus is showing up periodically during this period, giving direction to his people. Now, we're going to read in Acts chapter 1 for a moment. Here's what it says in God's word. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Now, these are very distinct directions that Jesus has given to his followers. Wait. God's giving you something, and it's going to allow you to accomplish the mission. Listen to what's going on. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Amazing promise right here. God's saying something amazing is about to happen. Jesus is saying, you guys got to wait for this. This is what I've been talking about. This has been God's plan, and he's about to do something. Now, right now I want everybody in this room, everybody listening online, to take your filter that you've learned about God, Holy Spirit, Pentecost, and throw it away for a minute. Let's see what God's word says to us. That's what's important. Will you just give us that grace for a few moments while we share something that may not agree with what you've been taught? I'm not saying I'm right and you're wrong. I'm saying God's word is right and we need to know what it says. Okay, so let's throw that stuff away for a minute and look at what God's saying to us right here. Watch what happens now as Jesus gives these incredible, distinct uh, directions to his followers. Verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Before I read any more, I'm going to read verse 9, but it's important that we get this. Jesus is giving them distinct instructions, saying, wait, the promise is coming, the Father's doing something, and all they care about is they're still translating their own ideas upon what the ministry of Jesus is all about. They are still stuck in what they've been taught about the establishment of a throne by Jesus on the throne of David, and they're still looking at the physical world, thinking, we're going to reign. 
We've been waiting. It didn't happen the way we thought. Okay, so now must be the time it's going to happen the way we were taught. No, it's not. And they were misfocused again, missing what he was trying to tell them because he already said to them, wait for the power. You're going to be my witness. That was the point. But they're like, are we going to reign? Is this the moment? And he tells them plainly, only the Father knows. Please, church, listen to God's word. Anybody that thinks they know the end times and when Jesus is coming back doesn't know God's word. He just told us flat out, only the Father. Okay, let's see what Alpha says. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking in the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So just stop for a minute. Think about this because there's a lot of people in the church that are still standing there looking like this. And he's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You were told what to do. Why are you looking up there? Go to Jerusalem and wait. You're going to be my witness. Why are you staring in the sky waiting for him to come back? He said, when he comes, you're going to know and you're going to see him. Come on, church. Let me just help you out here. When Jesus comes back, you're going to know it's him. You're going to know he's coming and you're going to see him. You don't have to sit there and try and figure it out and watch on a certain day, certain thing on a calendar, certain things of events. He's coming. God said he would. Jesus promised he would. And when he does, you're going to know it. Sit there in the word of God. This same Jesus, same one that was just trying to give you instructions you weren't listening to. (laughs) Now, let's just pause for a minute and remember God told every male to travel back to Jerusalem from wherever they live to celebrate the Feast of Firstfruits. So the men are coming from all over the world. We know this because the Word of God tells us. Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. We know the exact day. The 50th day after the Passover, the 50th day after Jesus was crucified. On the very day that God said, I want you to come to Jerusalem because I'm celebrating something. My abundant blessing to you. Do you know why they came? The harvest of the wheat. It was the first harvest. And he said, before you do anything else with the wheat, you come and present it to me. And you do this in faith, knowing there's another harvest coming. That's what they told. That's why they were doing it. That's why it's called the first fruits because it's the first harvest. And he said, you bring it to me first because I've got a plan and I'm going to take care of you and you've got to trust me. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. When you translate 
the Greek into the English, that word that says tongues is simply language. That's what it is. Language and tongues. The reason we use the word tongues is because of what it's become today instead of language. We'll talk about that as we look at what God's word says. So please understand what God's word says right here. The spirit of God fell. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Fire came on them. Remember, they were told they'd be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. And they began to speak in other languages, tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't these all who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Think about it. So this is not a language that nobody understood. It was a language everyone understood. That's God's word, right? So many of us have been taught that the gift of tongues or languages is a babbling only understood by someone that interprets it. That's not what was happening here in Acts chapter 2. It's very clear what happened. And God's word tells us what happened. Everyone heard. Those who were there in the streets all heard the message. Now don't get lost here and don't start getting defensive or start pointing to other scriptures. Stay with me. This is Pentecost we're looking at. Then... How is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Then it goes on and lists a bunch of countries they're from. That's telling us there was a bunch of nations that spoke different languages, but everybody was hearing it. It says in verse 11, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Isn't that cool? They're like, we're hearing amazing things about God in our own languages, and we understand it. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. I pause because I know a lot of you going to laugh because a lot of you don't see a calendar as any detriment to your drinking. But normal people don't drink in the morning. All right, I, just, I know you have histories, okay? I just want to point that out. He's saying like, you know, this isn't normal practice that people drink in the morning. They're not drunk. Something else is happening. So Peter's saying something to him and you need to listen to what he's telling us. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I'll pour my spirit on all people. Then we go into that dissertation of scripture that he preaches on. Now, if you follow through the message that Peter preached, he says, here's the deal. What's happening before your very eyes is the Holy Spirit has fallen upon us. He is in us. And we are here to preach the word of God. What he preaches, if you read on down through that verse, is the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he fulfilled the prophecies, that they crucified him and that he rose again, and it was he who they needed to repent and trust as their savior. 
See, the point of the message of God's word on the day of Pentecost was Jesus. Remember what Jesus told them before he left? You will be my witnesses. Church, it's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It will always be about Jesus. But some people have tried to make it about other things. So now as we look at this, we see that in this moment of perfection by God, as the Holy Spirit pours out, and it is a celebration before God for the first fruits of the harvest, God's word tells us that as Peter preaches this word, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. See, the first fruits of the first harvest of the redemptive plan of God was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, the first of much that God had planned for the redemption of humanity. It was the beginning of the harvest season. It was the beginning of the redemption of God's almighty plan that would call people to the Savior, Jesus Christ. God is good to His Word. Man, you've got to think about that. When He was giving these festivals, only God could have ordained these things the way He did and said, this is how I'm going to do these things. You come before me and watch what I do. You were gathered over there and saw Jesus die on the cross. You heard the rumors about Him resurrecting. Now look what happens on this day of Pentecost when you were here to celebrate and worship me as your God. Here's my plan from the beginning. A redemption. For all humanity, through the Messiah, this is the established plan of God. I want you to know God is good to His Word, and it is obviously God who was at work in and through His Word, which is the Bible that you and I have. It's God's Word. There are many misguided teachings about this section of Scripture. And off-focus teachings, where we get off on things that aren't what it's about. Again, I want to say this to you, so that everybody hears me clearly. I'm not trying to get you to agree with me. I don't want you to think I'm going to follow what he taught. I want you to know what God's word says and you need to follow what God's word says. This is God's word we're speaking of and it is God's word that you will answer to. As I grew up in the church, there were many things that I were taught that were not accurate. As I grew in my faith, there came a point in my life where I got on my knees before God and said, God, you know what? I need you to cleanse me from all the stuff that I was told about you in the word of God. And I need you to teach me your theology. I've studied theology. I've got, uh, it doesn't matter, I just got to tell you. I have degrees and I'm working on another one and all that. I don't care. See, what, what I realized is that we in the church are trying to prove our point so much that we work on proving other people wrong more than seeing what God actually says to us is right. It's like, why are we always conflicting with one another and trying to show everybody else is wrong? Why don't we all just look to God's word and let his word teach us? Then we'll all be in agreement. <laughs> you know, that's why we have all this craziness out here because we're trying to defend what we think. Let's look at what God says. It's God's word. Now, the reason why I pointed out the fact that the translation is tongues or languages is because many people have focused on that word tongues and there's teachings and beliefs out there about tongues that are not biblically accurate i am not telling you there's not a gift of tongues so don't misinterpret me i'm saying we have to look at what god's word says about it on the day of pentecost is what we're talking about the gift of tongues was a gift that god gave that people heard everything in their own language 
That's God's word. You cannot argue with God's word. You can, but you're wrong. It's what he told us happened, and it's what happened. The people that were not yet believing in Jesus heard it, proclaimed it, and understood it. Okay. So, here's the deal. The, the, the focus of that day and the message was Jesus, not the language. Peter didn't stand up and say, listen to me. I'm talking in your language. No, he said, you're hearing because God said you'd hear because the prophet Joel said the spirit of God would be poured out in the end times. And I want to talk to you about something. And it's Jesus. Church, the message on Pentecost was about Jesus, not about languages, not about the Holy Spirit. It was about Jesus. Look at the word of God. He makes it abundantly clear. Jesus himself said, wait for the promise of the Father. You're going to be filled with power and you will be my witness. Not the witness of a language, not the witness of the Holy Spirit. You'll be my witness. Jesus' witness. Jesus is the focus. And when we take the focus off Jesus, we're messing up. All these people from around the world listening. It's very clear. The central figure in God's word that we are instructed about is Jesus Christ crucified, resurrected, and he is the savior of the world. And that's what Jesus was trying to get them to focus on. So there are many that will teach today in Christian churches that you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and the evidence of that is speaking in tongues, which is interpreted by them as a uh, babbling language that is not understood by all but a translator. Again, I want you to say this. I, I, I mean no offense to you. I want us to look at God's word. There is not one scripture that teaches that. Not one. No scripture tells us that the evidence of baptism in the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. The reason why we apply that or churches have applied that is because of what happened here in Acts chapter 2. It is mentioned in Acts chapter 10 and chapter 19. It's the only time it's even talked about in the entire book of Acts. Church, again, we look at God's word. See, there are some that teach that you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit unless you speak in tongues, and they say that the gift of tongues is the gift that Jesus promised, so then everyone should speak in tongues or you're not even saved. Now that's taught in churches. And I want us to again look at what God's word says. As I mentioned, the gift of tongues is only mentioned three times in the book of Acts itself. And it's only talked about in one other place in the Bible, 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, the apostle Paul has tongues incorporated into his entire message to the church about what God is doing in the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, it's really important for us to get this. Now, maybe you don't even know about tongues and you're confused at what I'm talking about, but if you grow in your faith and you stay in the church and you look at God's word, you're going to hear people teaching about this and you're going to read stuff. So let's look again to what God says in his word. It's important for us to understand this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul addresses it, chapters 13 and 14. Now, after the writing of the letter of 1 Corinthians by the apostle Paul, he wrote 12 other epistles. We know this by their history and the timing on his life. 
In the 12 additional epistles he wrote, never did he talk about it. Some of those were the only letters given to churches. Now, stay with me. The Apostle Peter, who is seen as the head pastor of the church in Jerusalem, never talked about it, addressed it, or even wrote anything about it in the letters that he wrote to the church. John the Apostle, the Beloved, never wrote about it. Wrote the Gospel of John, wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. Never even talked about tongues or languages. James, never talked about it. Never mentioned it. Was never brought up. Jude, never mentioned it. Why am I saying all this, church? It's important for us to understand that if this was something that was attributed to evidence of having the Holy Spirit and the fact that Jesus said, this is critical for your life. Don't go anywhere. Don't do anything until you have this. Don't you just think that it was important enough that every church and every people knew this is required. Come on. If it was required, it would have been taught to every church. It was not required. And the Bible tells us it wasn't. And it explains it. Look in God's word. It's important for us to know it. As we look in the Bible, we need the Bible to create our theology. Not our theology being read into the Bible. 1 Corinthians 12. Read this in your own time. Just hear me through. Paul goes on to the church and tells them that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to the church. A variety of gifts. Prophecy, teaching, helps, um, healings, uh, tongues, interpretation of tongues. He talks about all the gifts, right? Not even all of them there. I'm just saying he's listing gifts that the Holy Spirit himself gives. And this is what he says. It's critically important for you to hear it. Listen. The Holy Spirit gives them as he sees fit. So it's nothing you and I can conjure up. It's nothing we can create or give. The Holy Spirit gives gifts. We're not talking about your talents. We're talking about Holy Spirit given gifts. And the Apostle Paul says, the Holy Spirit does that. Therefore, if tongues is a gift and it is listed, then the Holy Spirit's the one that gives it to whom he sees fit when he sees fit. Therefore, it's not something you and I have to pray and seek and look for. We look to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and allow the Holy Spirit to be the Holy Spirit and to gift the church for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. All right. There should have been a lot louder amen to that because it's God's word. All right. I'm just telling you. So we got to read God's word and we know that it's the Bible and what he's talking about. Let's let's use another illustration. I think it probably speaks it better than anything else do you remember in matthew chapter 3 where jesus comes to john the baptist to be baptized jesus comes to him he says now you got to do this john the baptist tells us that god told him that the one he sees the holy spirit come upon is the one john testifies you can read it in matthew 3 that when he baptized jesus he saw the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descend upon Jesus. Father speaks from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. John steps back, sees the Holy Spirit come upon him. We are told in God's Word the next event that took place was the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We do not hear Jesus speaking in tongues. 
Okay? So evidently, you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues. So let's, again, look at the Bible. I am not speaking against tongues, making this very clear. I'm saying, what is it? Let God's Word teach us, not what people have taught us. What is God saying to us here? Do you remember Jesus told his disciples, wait for the power, the promise of the Father, which is the power of the Holy Spirit to be my witness? He told them that. We read that, Acts 1.8. And he also said, what I taught you about him. It's not the exact wording. You remember I read it. You can look in, in uh, Acts 1.8. Check this out. Let's go back in the book of John for a moment because Jesus said, gave distinct teachings about what the Holy Spirit would do when he came. So it's really important for us to get this because what we see happening on Pentecost is the fulfillment of God's promise, but also the prophetic words of Jesus about what would take place on that day and what will take place in your my life. Jesus said in John 14, 15, and 16 a list of things about the Holy Spirit himself. Two of the things that he called him were the comforter and the advocate. So Jesus said the Holy Spirit is the advocate and the comforter. He's bringing to, coming to bring us comfort, internal peace. The advocate is interceding before the Father on our behalf. Okay, now let's see what he said he would do. He said, Jesus, now I'm talking about, and all I did is I went through John 14, 15, and 16, looking and writing down the things Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, which is important that we understand this is about the Holy Spirit. He is, Jesus said, the Spirit of truth. Nobody that's in the world can receive him. Only those who believe. So the Holy Spirit is not available to the lost, but only to the saved. But he's poured out upon all flesh, as we read in God's word, because Jesus is going to tell us how and why and what he's doing. Here you go. Not in the world, but in the believer, teach and remind of Jesus' teachings. Right? He said, he's going to remind you of what I taught you. And he's going to reveal what I taught you. Went on. He's going to testify about Jesus. Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit. He's going to testify about me. Jesus said that. He's going to prove the world wrong about sin. <laughs> he's going to prove the world wrong about sin. He's going to bring about a judgment of righteousness. And, I mean, a, a conviction of righteousness and, and of judgment. So Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's coming. He's going to reveal who I am, what I taught, what I'm about. He's going to come into you and he's going to testify of who I am. He's going to prove the world's wrong. He's going to prove I'm right. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now let's go all the way into John 16 and read verses 13 through 15 because I wanted to bring this to the climax because it's the last teachings before his ascension about the Holy Spirit. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, so this is a uh, second or third time that he calls him the spirit of truth. He will guide you into all truth. See, the Holy Spirit's going to do that. He will not speak on his own. All right, so we're not supposed to have a church of the Holy Spirit. It's the church of Jesus Christ that is led and guided and taught by the Holy Spirit about Jesus, right? This is what he's telling us. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come, yet to come. 
He's going to give revelation. What about that revelation? He will glorify me. This is Jesus talking, remember? The Holy Spirit will always glorify Jesus. If it's not about Jesus, it's not the Holy Spirit. He will glorify me because it is from me that He will receive what He will make known to you. Man, right there it is. Jesus is saying, like, the only thing you're going to know is what I let you know through the Holy Spirit, and it's about me. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. Who's central? Jesus. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So what we find clearly outlined by Jesus is the Holy Spirit's ministry is all about Jesus and his work he's going to do in us is all about Jesus. Going back to Acts 1.8 again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. So Jesus just told us. Look, it's all about me. It's been about me. God planned it all about me. Here I am and I'm letting you know again it's all about me, Jesus. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit is coming to empower you to share the good news of Jesus. To guide you into living the life that glorifies Jesus. That you and I might live a life like Jesus. This is the word of God. We've been seeing what God is challenging us with. Church, he's calling us to be his witness, to be his church, to live the central point of the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The central purpose was the fire of God coming inside of us that we might be his witness. That today we celebrate the first fruit harvest of God's harvest for the redemptive plan of all humanity. It is our responsibility to be filled and led by the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life that glorifies God through Jesus Christ and to share that truth with others. That is our call, church. Do you know Him? Have you received Jesus as your personal Savior? He's it. Okay? Have you shared your redemptive story with others? So, I'm inviting all of us, not just me, not just listening. I understand that some people are not comfortable with what I'm teaching today because you've been taught otherwise. I'm asking you to revisit your theology biblically. As I mentioned, I've been taught things wrongly in a Christian church. I want you to know I got saved in that church. Salvation was there, but so was erred teaching. Right? So please don't get lost in that. We need to know what God is saying. We need to hear what he's saying to us and relearn the theology that God wants us to have, not what we've been taught. For a span of 10 literal years in my life, I did not read any books, commentaries, Bible dictionaries, any other writings but the Bible. I put it all aside. I'm like, God, I'm a mess. I find all this chaos and confusion, this conflict in the body of Christ. I see these churches divided over stuff, and I'm like, God... 
I want to know what you're all about and why is this going on? I know who's at, at fault. It's the enemy trying to screw up the perfection of Jesus' church. I know that. And I don't want to be part of it. And I have been. I confess to you that I have caused issues in the church by my ignorance and my past. I confess that to you. It's not okay. I'm asking God to show me today. I am a student of his word and of him, and I submit myself to him that I don't know it all. I'm learning. I'm walking with him. He's revealing truth to me. I'm surrendering what I thought was truth to his truth. We need to walk with him and let him speak to us and let him build his theology because his is perfect. See, when I read in the word of God that he promised us that the Holy Spirit would reveal all truth to us, there's nothing I can't know about my relationship with God that I cannot find out by the power of the Holy Spirit in the word of God through my relationship with him. It's an incredible gift. You understand what we've been given? In, in Hebrews 11, it talks about all the people of faith and history that never received what you and I have received. We've got it. We've got it. We have no excuse. So will you review your theology based on Scripture and what it says? So... I have one more statement to make. These are my action steps, by the way. I don't know if you know that, but we're early. Um, making up for last week. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, when you go down in the end of that chapter, I wanted to point out, which I forgot to do with you when we were there, when he says he gives it as he sees fit. Down at the bottom, the Apostle Paul says, do all prophesy, do all perform miracles, do all this, do all this, do all speak in tongues. Do he was saying like, no, these are gifts the Holy Spirit gives to individuals in the church. So, by the way, chapter 13, he says, it doesn't matter what gift you have. If you don't have love, it means nothing, wow. right? Yeah. So, like, let's stop focusing on stuff and start focusing on him and let the love of God come into us and We'll fix the problem right there. But here's the last thing I'll say to you in our action steps. We need to stop reading the Bible to prove what we believe and begin reading the Bible to teach us what to believe. Amen. So that's something God's spoken to my life that I firmly believe in. And I would say that is one of the most important quotes that he ever spoke into my life. We need to stop reading the Bible to prove what we believe and begin reading the Bible to teach us what to believe. See, like what's happening in our culture today is we're trying to find ways to make the Bible um, affirm how we want to live, affirm what we want to believe, affirm what we think. God's not about that, church. He is who He is. He said what He said, and He expects us to line up with Him, not vice versa. So let's surrender that stuff. Let's know what he's saying to us. Let's stand together. The altar's open. Otherwise, I'll keep you beyond early. Church, I, I want you to know that if you need to repent, you need to repent. If you don't know that you have the Holy Spirit, you need to know you have the Holy Spirit. He promised the Holy Spirit to believers. And if you don't know that you are filled by the Holy Spirit, you need to know. And it's not by any sign or wonder that anybody else does. It's the promise of God fulfilled in the heart of the believer when we embrace him. just want you to know it's God's word. If you want to come to the altar, he loves you. Father, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this day in history where it was the first fruits harvest. The 3,000 souls that were added. 
and you continue to add to the harvest from that day to this. And God, we are praying that you would help us to expand your kingdom by adding to the harvest, by sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be anointed and led and filled and taught by you, Holy Spirit, about our amazing Savior. God, we give you glory today. Heal our land. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, if you are uh, first Sunday here, there's a couple gifts we have left. If you don't get one over there, please let us know. We'll make that up to you next week. We're asking you to exit over there. If you have kids and kids XP, you can go out those doors to get them. Thank you. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us online. Can't wait to be with you again. Love you.